Welcome to Connecting the Community podcast. I am your host, Marge Andre. I will be connecting you to people, organizations, and events that create community. I am creating this podcast in Richmond Hill, an eclectic and very culturally diverse community with lots of trees and streams and interesting people just up the hill from Toronto. On this podcast, I will be talking with Janine Purvis, financial advisor with Asante Capital Management. I've known Janine for at least a decade. We were both on the Board of Trade of the Richmond Hill Chamber of Commerce, now the Board of Trade. Welcome, Janine. Hello, Marge. Glad to be here with you today. It is good to be talking to you today. Janine, you specialize in wealth, estate, and legacy planning. Can you share what that means for our audience? And in particular, I do not know what legacy planning is. Can you explain it? And how do you really help your clients? Well, um, wealth, estate, and legacy planning is really helping clients on their journey to build some type of wealth so that they can retire and have that life we sort of all aspire to. Um, most of us think we're going to stop work at maybe 60 or 65 and hopefully have built enough of a nest egg that we can live off that. But when you stop work, sometimes you lose a little bit of your fulfillment. And I know you're really engaged in the community, Marge. So mm-hmm. what I find for most people is there's more than just picking the investment and figuring out how you're going to spend the money. We need to find ways to fulfill our days. And that often means getting more engaged in life, whatever that is. Maybe it's being supporting your family. Maybe it's supporting causes that are important to you. But what is that legacy that you want to create potentially in retirement and then maybe even after you're gone? So the legacy really is helping to identify what will give your life meaning in different ways, whether it be time or money, uh, but that can help your ideas and your values to live on through your family and through the causes you believe in. Okay, very interesting, good things to think about. Jenny, for a long time, you organized with your business associate a very successful annual event, The Joy of Aging. Can you tell us about this event and particularly why why you did it? Well, working with my clients, what I found was that everybody was so busy, uh, especially the women taking care of families, working, just coordinating everything that we found they often weren't taking care of themselves very effectively. Um, We also were really engaged with community and thought it was really important to be able to uh, represent and uh, see all the businesses that were out there. So when my colleague and I created the joy of aging, what we were looking for was trying to find a way that we could engage our community, engage the businesses in the community so they could directly access some of our uh, the people who live there and support an important cause that we all thought was was critical. And we decided the hospital was the most important thing for everybody. We all want to live a healthy life, but you need the hospital for what things that are really important. Yeah. And that's what triggered the whole start of Joy of Aging. Mm-hmm. And as you know, it went on for 11 years, which was amazing. We did not know that at the beginning. And in fact, when the first year we started, it was 2009. And if you recall, there was a pretty rough economy. There was a lot of people losing their jobs. 
Uh, it was a really, really tough uh, uh, stock market. It was just negative all over the place. And we actually started this event, thought maybe we get 50 to 75 people out. And I think we had to stop ticket sales because we sold out uh, at over 100, 125, something like that. And we were thrilled. We didn't raise tons of money, but it was our first year. I think we raised about 15,000 net. Um, so that was okay. And we found out there was a few other events that tried to do this and they all had to cancel because they couldn't get any traction. So we were really thrilled with our results and the support we received from our clients, from our colleagues and the businesses. And then we just continued to build. So the, the next number of years, it kept growing. We ended up with about 350 people there for most years. Uh, once we sort of built up the first three years and uh, it just was about healthy aging for women, but supporting a local organization that all mattered to us. So um, it, yeah, it was, it was supposed to be fun and educational, um, but not so fancy, you know, yeah. just something we could all appreciate on a Sunday morning. So yeah. Yeah. that was really the story of it. We, yeah. we, it, it, we had to reinvent the wheel a few times as we found, okay, people aren't as interested in, this topic or this and you know constantly looking for new ideas to help get the people coming out every year so they'd appreciate something a little new and I think at year 11 we just decided um, we had been doing it long enough it was a lot of time for our team and we just decided we've done what we could do we raised almost half a million dollars over that 11 years and we had touched on all the topics and it was time for it to change like it was time to move on to something else just because we felt it was becoming more work to get people out because you know it had done its course and at that point there was so many other events happening that there was a bit more competition and you know what let some of the other events that are newer and different shine mm -hmm. it was it was time for joy of aging to say sayonara i mean it also worked out because covid we wouldn't have been yeah. able to hold it near 12 anyways but but yeah. it was it was fine we yeah. were really pleased with the results and it was time uh, both Tina and I have done many other things uh, helping raise money in our communities uh, since then. So, you know, gave us time to focus on a few other uh, right, items. Yeah, it, it was a very impressive event on from many different respects. So, yeah, it's uh, I enjoy doing it. I understand why you stopped doing it. And it was just it was ideal timing with COVID. So time to move on. So, yeah. OK, next question. Do you have a particular group you work with when providing financial advice? Well, I tend to focus on people that are more focused on helping to make uh, good financial planning decisions. And I say that because some people think it's all about the investing. Some people think it's all about, uh, you know, you know, forecasting out exactly what you need in retirement. And it is, but what we have found is that you can make amazing investment decisions or poor investment decisions. And after 10 or 15 years, your returns might not be that different. And so the investing is one component. The biggest impact is what people do, what that they can control. And they can't control where the markets go. And if they do really well, it might be a little bit of luck. <laughs> um, and if, But they can control what they make to an extent, they can control what they spend, they can control how they manage that in terms of the big pieces, like how much debt they take on, all of those pieces. And what I find makes the biggest difference is people actually really sitting back and, and getting either a second opinion or 
making a logical decision about all their financial decisions. And, and sometimes money, we get really emotional. So you asked me about who I focus on or who works, who I work with more with financial advice. It really tends to be people who want to get somebody to help them think more logically about money and be able to think those decisions through so they're making the right decision at the right time. And, and honestly, often I have single women, um, divorced, actually both divorced men and women or a widowed have come up because all of a sudden you're making a decision on your own where you might have had a partner in the past. Uh, and, you know, and sometimes with those partners, it was hard to make decisions because sometimes it's very one-sided. Uh, but that's the type of thing. So anybody that really wants to be able to help get a second opinion to keep them on the straight and narrow. Mm. Um, I, I find that there's a lot of times when people are saying, oh, you don't need an advisor. The investment side is taken care of. And in some cases, the robo investor stuff is good on the investment side, but I have not found a single case other than extremely simple situations where it really covers off on the planning. Because mm -hmm. if you don't make good logical decisions when it comes to money, because we all have a bit of a money mindset that kind of biases us, mm -hmm. then often it doesn't matter what the investments do. It's about all the other stuff that kind of keeps messing you up, right? Ooh. So that's where I think it's important. That advisor is yeah needs wow. to keep you on the straight and narrow. Interesting. And some very good food for thought. So the next question was, you know, when should when should people consider using advice an advisor? So you've talked well, about widowed and divorce, but it probably most goes people when that. yeah, when something most people actually reach out when there's a trigger event. Mm -hmm. So maybe there's been a death in the family and all of a sudden you're an executor or you're dealing with an estate uh, or you've received some money and wait, oh, all of a sudden I've got 500,000 in a bank account. I've never had this much money in one spot before. I want to take this seriously. Mm -hmm. um, maybe they've lost a job or got a new job, which is a huge pay increase from where they were. Uh, they got married, they had a kid, all of a sudden there's an element of responsibility there that they didn't take so seriously. Mm -hmm. um, yes, and or widowed, divorced, anything like that is what I find is the trigger. Mm -hmm. But what I think is the most important thing is most people think they need it for retirement and at age 60, they start looking at this. But if you weren't doing the right things for the last 20 years, you can't correct 20 years of mistakes in five years to retire at 65. It's so I honestly think the advisor is a really key point and people should start looking at age 35, 40 hmm. to, to at least get some basic advice to get set some objectives hmm. and that will really help them be on the right track. Right. Okay. Um, some more interesting things to think about. Okay. Um, I believe that, you know, recently in the last few years of pausing in our behavior, due to this COVID lockdown, people yes. have been reflecting on their lives. Have you seen shifts in people's financial planning uh, due to this COVID pause? Yes. In fact, I, I used to joke that, you know, that old commercial way back when only the hairdresser knows for sure. Mm -hmm. I said, no, no, no. It's the financial advisor mm -hmm. knows all mm -hmm. because money affects every aspect of our life. And we don't, really think about it that way but it does like everything you do often money is the root causes of fighting in marriages when they mm -hmm. get down to it it 
it is how we deal with money differently. And so COVID impacted everybody because one, it made us all shut down. And some people were sitting there with no way to spend their cash, continuing to work and, uh, or they weren't working at all and trying to get CERB or whatever and feeling, uh, you know, extremely distraught. Although I think even the ones who were working from home still got distraught because of the change and nature of it all. But what it did is it made us sort of uh, appreciate certain things that we might not have appreciated before. It made us recognize that we are not all immortal. Uh, Most people knew somebody who passed away during that time. And whether they, you know, how serious or what they thought of COVID, there was still a huge issue and it made us recognize that mortality factor. And so what I found is in some of the presentations we do when we present to donors and um, and and various people involved in planning and estate planning, we've actually polled them about who has considered updated updating their estate documents, your will, your power of attorneys, in the past few years since COVID. And the results when we asked pre-COVID were about 10 to 15% of the audience. And, and this is an audience that's interested in estate planning, which is why they signed up for these sessions. And after COVID, the results have been in the range of 40 to 75%. Hmm. So most of us have recognized that maybe we should be updating our wills. Yeah. And maybe we should be updating what our requirements are or recognizing that, you know, maybe we're all not going to live healthy and then just drop dead. Maybe there's a bit more reality check in terms of making sure we have funds available for healthcare needs depending on what they are. Mm-hmm. It's nice for us to recognize that we have certain free healthcare in Canada, but we all know the reality is it is stretched to the brink. It is, they keep cutting back what services are included. So making sure you've got funds or the opportunity to review how your assets will carry you through should something happen is a really good exercise to help make sure that you're going to be okay for the rest of your life. Right. Okay. Again, lots to think about. Thinking about now, we're in a situation where a lot of people are quite anxious. Uh, we have a very high rate of inflation. We keep being told the news keeps highlighting this for us. How's this affecting <clears throat> financial planning? It absolutely is. We are when we are do a financial plan, um, and maybe I should touch on what is included in what we provide when we do planning, because I think that's critical, but I'll answer your inflation question first. Um, Inflation is affecting the cost of everything. So the issue is with inflation going up, our cost of living is going up. And when you forecast out a financial plan, we sort of say, where are you today? What do you have? What are you saving? And how is this going to provide for you in retirement? In fact, some of our planning, it gets into actually identifying if you passed away at different points in time, what's your tax bill? Because is there a way for us to mitigate that or reduce it by managing things more effectively during your lifetime? Uh, So when we look at all these pieces, we forecast out an inflation. The average inflation rate we've been using for the last 20 years has been in the two to two and a half percent range because that's been the government target. And we've been in that range for most of the time, at least the way they are. They ask us to measure it. The key point is that now we're looking at six and a half, seven percent inflation. They expect it to be coming down. But you and I both know 
going to the grocery store, it's crazy how expensive things are. Uh, and, you know, my daughter bought two cauliflowers yesterday and paid $12. And I went, what? And I knew, I thought she said $12 for one. So I really uh, was <laughs> surprised. Uh, but the point was, you know, what was it? Two ninety nine, a dollar ninety nine a year or two ago. So mm-hmm. that is, you know, that's a hundred percent inflation in that regard. That's not six percent. But the issue is, it affects everything because our cost of living is going to go up faster in retirement. And if you're on a set income or your pension isn't indexed, however that works, we've got to factor that in, and that's a really critical piece mm-hmm. uh, to identify. Now, having said that, the one benefit is. It's been really challenging in balanced portfolios for the last few years because fixed income paid very little. And if you were trying not to be 100% equities, you weren't getting much benefit. Well, I can get GICs over 5% right now. So while I'm not running out and selling everything to buy them because the markets have pulled back, including fixed income, but I still recognize for short-term money, for safety, for comfort, that's a great way for some of the safe money to be held. So it it will also it's not six percent or seven percent which the inflation rate is so it's still not keeping up but we'll now see those fixed income pieces of the portfolio starting to hold up better which will help to enhance some of the likely returns going forward Hmm. i realize the market is challenged and inflationary periods that is a big piece that we have to be aware of but it you kind of take a step back and you say okay what assets do we need to hold in inflationary periods to help keep up with inflation? And one of them usually is real estate. Now our housing got a little uh, above ahead of schedule. So I'm not sure how well that will work in the shorter term. Um, real, the equity markets moved up fairly strongly and now we've seen a big pullback, but the big picture usually over that five-year period, they keep up with inflation. Primarily if you're in equities that are tied to pricing power. So the leaders in their industry, commodities, that type of thing. And again, but the problem, the hard part, especially when you're investing is the inflation increases the volatility and all these things. So, mm-hmm. you know, you know, those, those lovely index charts over 20 or 50 yeah. years, oh, that market did amazing. We're not living and looking in day one and then after 50 years. That's not how we live. We look every day or every month and we see the pullback and we live with the emotional side of that, which is tough. Yeah. So, and that's probably a role I didn't even say about financial advisors is I'm not always going to get returns that are better that some people get on their own. But what I almost guarantee I can do is help to keep them on the right track to doing the right thing. Because yeah. it's so easy to hit a button and sell when something drops and you just lost 10% or whatever, 15%. And yet it's almost guaranteed that item could be back up by that 10 or 15% in 12 months. Mm-hmm. So if we needed the money in short term, it shouldn't have been in there. And if we're in there and it's a good company, then why are we selling it when it's down? You'd be, you know, anything else, you saw that beautiful dress in the store, you'd want to buy that when it's down. And yet that company that had the same results a month ago that it does today, just that dropped, that it could still be a great company and it pays you dividends and whatever. So it's just about buying, finding the right way of keeping people on track with what they need. So anyways, there's, there's a lot in there, but there is some things to think about. Okay. One other thing I'd like us to think about 
is investing ethically, uh, thinking, buying green, um, you know, caring how your investments, uh, what, what you're investing in, like you're not investing in oil and ugly, horrible things. So can you talk about that for a bit? Okay. So that, uh, what we call uh, SRI or ESG. So SRI stood for socially responsible investing. That's a term that's been around for probably 20 plus years. Mm -hmm. And now the more common term is ESG, which is environmental, social and governance, so that they're taking on certain key priorities to invest uh, in things that are more ethically driven. Um, Now, having said that, I will highlight that Canada has one of the highest percentage of people who are portfolio managers that are, I don't remember the the accreditation is they're credited with a central organization that works with portfolio managers to try to make ethical decisions. And it's a global organization. I don't remember the name of it. I'm sorry, but we have the highest percentage of portfolio managers who are licensed through that, which means they're trying to make ethical decisions no matter what. In some cases, that does not mean they don't buy oil, but they buy oil stocks that are trying to do things and clean up what they're doing and not leave messes and respect their employees and pay them. Because I will tell you right now, even though oil is challenged and there's issues, are we we can't stop immediately because our world doesn't work. We don't have enough of other things. So like there's there's these ideals of moving to stuff, but there has to be a transition period. And the oil companies are also putting money back into finding alternative energy sources. They're actually one of the biggest funders. So I, I, I'm not trying to promote oil companies by any stretch, but I'm saying there's a, there's a piece of this, what we need to consider. Um, I'm also saying that there's tons of ethical investing that's going on out there. We have tons of choice via ETS, via funds um, and different things that are out there that you can look at. Because these companies tend to be uh, funded by special programs in some cases and things, uh, they often are newer and they're growth oriented. And that is a bit of a challenge because growth type stuff has pulled back a lot. So it might be a good time to be entering some of these as long as they're sustainable, Mm -hmm. right? And when I say sustainable, I don't mean just the ethical side of the business and what they're doing is sustainable. The company itself has to be still feasible over the long term when this funding from the government stops or changes. Um, So that's something that people need to be factoring in, but there's so many opportunities out there um, for the investing. And even if it's not the hundred percent of yours, but you want to tie in, there's some great compliments that can add to your portfolio. Mm -hmm. But I guess I comment that the many people who don't have the ESG uh, logo beside their name still might be accredited through this organization, global that's recognized that they're still considering it, even if they aren't making uh, broad statements. So I'm just mm. saying that we actually are better positioned in Canada than many people think. Mm. Um, and, and there's different definitions. So you need to get into that in a, in the depth that you look at. Um, one comment I'll make Marge is I did interview an ESG expert. Mm-hmm. I run little uh, webinars and things every once in a while. To, I'm always trying to educate my clients and my contacts. And we actually ran an ESG webinar I don't even know, uh, somewhere in six to 12 months ago, might be a little longer, but, uh, and I believe it's available on our website. Anybody can go in and uh, I think it's about 30 minutes. It, he speaks all on the uh, portrayal and how it works and the definitions and what the priorities are and what portfolio managers look at. 
And then we had a bit of a Q&A at the end from all the questions from me, because it was a live event when we hosted it. Okay. Yeah, no, very interesting. It's a very interesting subject that we'll have to talk about more sometime. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, what it's coming here at the end of the year. <clears throat> what advice do you have for people? I guess not just at the end of the year, but anytime for making charitable donations. Well, that's an area that is very near and dear to my heart because I have, I don't know, I just always have worked with people. Uh, many of my clients have been always engaged in trying to do some philanthropy um, through their assets. And uh, so we've always worked with people who've done lots of donations at year end and we always encourage it. One is try to donate uh, appreciated securities or funds or uh, items like that if you can. Because uh, because that way they can actually waive the gains and still get the wonderful tax credit. So that's one option. Mm -hmm. It's a bit late to do that now because most of the transfer departments are pretty jam-packed. So I can't guarantee you get it through. But um, the tax credit is amazing. It's equivalent to close to 50% tax bracket, even if you're not in that bracket. So as long as you donate more than $200, the tax credit is phenomenal. So uh, in fact, Canada has one of the most uh, preferred uh, tax credit systems in the world for donating to charities. So mm -hmm. the government really wants us to donate. And uh, if we can make a difference, then I think we should all do our part. Right. Um, you, it's easy to do and you can talk to your advisor about it or talk to the charities, or if you have a bunch of charities doing it through Canada Helps, and then you can do one donation to the charity to the Canada Helps, and then they distribute to all the different charities if that's the way it is. But I do speaking with donors uh, for charities now as well. That's one of my core pieces uh, mm. of my business. So I'd be happy to talk to you about some estate planning ideas for that at some point in the future. Right. There's lots no. to consider. Lots. Of, yeah. Okay. No, thank you for that. Uh um, anything else that you want to add right now? Like we, we could talk for hours. It doesn't make sense to, but just something important to, to talk to and or what we should be talking about next time. Um, I think, you know what? I One of the things that happens, and I find it's going to happen again in January, February this year, every year, we get bombarded by all these ads from various, uh, I'll say robo-advisors or uh, online dealers that always talk about the investment in the and all that and the fees the fees the fees and that's a whole conversation in itself but i'm going to tell you i've looked at so many people that have come on board and recognize that what the fees they were paying are almost the same as when they are working with me and yet now they're getting advice and it's customized to them and i'm like so we can look at using some of these online services. And that's great if you are a do-it-yourselfer and you really understand the market and you know you're thinking about the decisions and making them or between you and your spouse, however, that's great. You don't necessarily need an advisor, but if you're somebody who's questioning every single thing, every time you hear about the neighbor who did so great on this dividend stock or whatever, you're questioning every single thing, then why don't you use an advisor? Because the reality is most of the time your fees are not excessively more and I will tell you my fee will cover more than covers the big mistakes that I've seen tons of clients making when they come in so you're often paying stuff but you're not getting any service um, but having said that you need to find the right advisor like they need to be good at what you need and from my standpoint when I interview clients or 
people who are thinking of becoming a client, I'm not going to take somebody on who won't work well with me because if they respect, if they want to be trading stocks, and I know that's not my forte because I'm in meetings all day with clients, so I'm not a good trader, then I don't want to take them on because I know we'll both be unhappy. Mm. But if somebody is looking at trying to find ed- some education and some tips on different ideas, I know my depth of product is great and that will really help them be on, you know, the returns will work, but everything else will work because we save them so much tax and made all the right strategies along the way that we've just, so that's to me the most important. And it, that's not about me. That's just about finding the right person. That's a good fit. Right. So um, if anybody is looking or thinking, maybe I should talk to a couple people, get interviewed, interview a few people. And a really good place to go is go to the CFP website. Cause then you can find people in your area mm-hmm. uh, looking at that and, and, doing that. And I have a couple of articles on my website where I've how to find a financial advisor when you're looking for one, just things that you should be asking. So, um, you know, I'm pretty engaged in education. So that's Mm -hmm. been a factor for years. So happy to have people check that out just to get some starting points. Okay, thank you. And I definitely will put your website on in the podcast notes. So everyone should look at that. Super. Okay, I do end this podcast with the guest response to the question. Name one thing you really like about this community. Oh, well, I have lived in Richmond Hill for over 30 years, about 32 years now. And I originally moved here because my husband's uh, two siblings lived in Richmond Hill. Uh, And it was like, well, we couldn't really afford a house in Toronto. We came here. So um, it was close enough to where I grew up in North York, Willowdale, and close enough to get downtown. And yet I love going north, as you know, where mm-hmm. cottages are pretty close to each other. Yeah. So I could also get out of the city without the traffic. So that part was sort of why we moved here. Um, and then since I've stayed, because I thought it was a great place to raise my kids. It was a great community. I got involved and um, it's big enough to have what we need, but it's still small enough that you can see lots of people around the neighborhood. And that part I love. Okay. Love that response. So thank you again, Janine. We've had a great discussion. And uh, as we've alluded to, we will continue this another time. There's lots we could talk about. So absolutely. Thank you for taking this time to, uh, to talk with me. Thanks, Marge. Have a great day. You too. Thank you for listening. I would very much appreciate you sharing this podcast. Please tune in next week as we continue to explore the community. Consider emailing me at Marge, M-A-R-J, at margeandre.com. I welcome suggestions for podcast guests. Stay well, stay connected.